This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is about a very unusual marriage story that involves the military, um, a new marriage, uh, children in a surprising context, etc., and coping with all kinds of uh, unusual circumstances. My guests today are, and I'm going to, uh, ladies go first in the South, right? So our Paige and Joss Wetzel, uh, who live, I'm assuming you're in Alabama, and uh, uh and who wrote a book, which I'm going to hold up. I don't even know if this will, uh, whether this will reverse or not. It probably will. Beautifully Broken, uh, Paige and Joss Wetzel, An Unlikely Journey of Faith. And if you look very carefully at the picture there, you will see part of the story. Um, Josh was in the military, served in Afghanistan, and was the um, recipient of uh, an IED explosion that removed two parts of both legs. And the story is about the entire journey of that recovery. So it's a little bit unusual in terms of what we normally do here on the table, but I was so captivated by the story and what it represented that I thought it was worth um, taking a look at it and, and talking to the Wetzels about. So thank you all very much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad to do it. So, uh, again, Paige, you get to go first because ladies go first in the South. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit of your story before you met Josh and got married, and then I'll have Josh do the same. Um, yeah, so I'm from Fort Payne, Alabama, um, really small town in northeast Alabama, and I came from a pretty uh, – traditional family, um, had grandparents in my life, went to the same church my whole life. Uh, I never moved out of my home until I moved off to college. And so um, I had a pretty typical upbringing and um, I grew up in church. It was very traditional Southern Baptist uh, type scenario. Um, I played sports my whole life and that's what ultimately got me to the school where I ended up meeting Josh. I was playing volleyball at, it was first at a junior college where he and I met, um, but I was just a very like um, straight-laced and focused student athlete, and that's what I spent most of my time doing, and um, I was on a very fast and um, unwavering trajectory to uh, go to college and play volleyball and to get a degree in four years or less. And uh, I wasn't very flexible with that plan or the means as to how I would achieve that. Um, so very focused, very straight laced, pretty boring. And uh, that was kind of who I was and how I functioned before I met Josh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me ask you a couple of quick follow-ups. Fort is this Fort Payne, Alabama? Is that is that the name? Yes. How big was Fort Payne? Well, it is. It's pretty small. I went. I mean, I graduated with a little less than three hundred um, kids. Um, but the band Alabama is from Fort Payne. So okay. Like, yeah. And it's the former sock capital of the world. Yeah. The former what capital of the world? Stock. Oh, stock. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. No big so, deal. Yeah. Sorry you haven't heard of it, but yeah, you know. no, no. So, population roughly? Do you know what it, what the population was? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it can't be more than. 15,000. Okay. So, <laughs> very good. 
Very good. Josh, your story until you uh, uh, until you met Paige. So I was the complete opposite of Paige. I, so I grew up, I, I was born in Frankfurt, Germany. My father was in the military. Um, so I was born in Frankfurt, Germany, lived there for about a year, year and a half. Um, moved to El Paso, Texas, um, to Fort Bliss for, you know, a few more years and until um, I was in the first grade. And then I moved to the small town of Glencoe, Alabama, um, which is also in northeast Alabama, where my parents are originally from. Um, and there was absolutely nothing straight-laced about me. I, uh, you know, I was the wild child. So you were a crooked lice and she was a straight lice? <laughs> Absolutely. And um, so, but, you know, like, I, I like to compare myself. You know, you've seen the movie Old Yeller. Mm-hmm. And you remember Alice? Like, I was Alice, you know, bringing critters out of the woods and into everything. And just, you know, carefree little boy, you know, and um, lived down the road from my best friend and always hung out at his house. And we were always causing trouble and um you know i grew up in that little town and um you know my grandmother you know made sure i was in church every sunday morning sunday night and wednesday night and um you know while i was there i wasn't like there you know i was just kind of there because my grandma i didn't want my grandmother to be mad at me you know (laughs) um and then you know went to high school there and um, graduated and went off to school my first year um, to a little school called Young Harris College um, and played baseball there for a year and that was a really good experience. I got to play with um, Charlie Blackman who now plays for the um, Colorado Rockies and hmm. Corey Gearing who um, you know he's pitching pitched in the major leagues for you know a good while and um, you know played with a lot of really good guys and um, I was that guy that really took the athletic side a little too seriously, you know, and, and just like school wasn't like my parents weren't there making me get up, go into You class. went to school for athletics. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and partying. And, um, and so I quickly flunked out of school. And so I had to move back home. And, um, you know, I started going to Gadsden State Community College and um, you know, I was trying to play baseball there as well, and that's where I met Paige. And again, you know, the the party animal side of me came out, and Paige couldn't resist my amazing charm, and that's. <laughs> where we met. Uh, well, we read about much of that amazing charm in the book. So, uh, uh, so uh, before we get into the humbling part of this story, so how large how large was Glencoe? Uh, Glencoe was a good bit smaller than Fort Payne. Like, there's no, <laughs> no way there's more than 5,000 people in that entire town. There's, okay. there's one red light. If you blink, you're going to miss it. Like okay. Everybody drives through Glencoe but doesn't realize that they've been through Glencoe. Okay. All right. So, so it's not a life-altering experience to be there unless you live there, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. All right, so that brings us up to where you all met. Um, one of the things I enjoyed about the book and, and I found fascinating was the kind of dual level it was written on. You know, there was the story of what you all were going through and experiencing, there was how you were each processing what you were experiencing, what you were thinking, and what the other person was thinking at the same time. And, and, and your story begins in the midst of what looked like was a dating relationship that looked like it was all over. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, Paige, it sounded like you had made the decision you were done. Okay, right? And, 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 and you were processing that and, and, and trying to let Josh know that, etc. So that's where your story starts before you get married. So talk a little bit about, about um, from that point kind of to the, to the situation in which you got married. Because your, mar- your marriage situation I wouldn't describe as typical either because of the military background. By the way, Josh, uh, just to let you know, I did some small world stuff talking to Paige before we came on, which you heard as well. But there's a small world connection between you and me as well. We lived four years in Germany. 
Not in Frankfurt, but in Stuttgart. But the church okay. that we went to was International Baptist Church located right next to the American uh, troop compound there in Stuttgart. Uh, so we're very familiar with the military experience and the military presence. Uh, we were ministering to people who are in the American military in that church context when we were in, where we were in Germany. That's awesome. So, um, so, so let's pick up with the story there. So, you, so, your page, your let's put it this way, delicately. You were reconsidering your relationship with Josh, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was uh, in the beginning of our relationship, things were good and easy. You know, we were around each other all the time. We just hung out, and then, um, you know, you kind of get on that. Um, you get past that freshman year and then it's kind of it's time to start picking your serious classes and it's you know you're looking at internships and all these things and i i was still really sticking to my goals and i wanted to um you know i i was on a volleyball scholarship and i fully intended to um graduate before that scholarship expired with my ncaa eligibility and so um i'm really just like probably taking too many hours some semesters and um josh and i at that time had gone to separate four-year schools and um you know his uh he was excelling at um at socializing so he you know he wasn't just a total mm -hmm. like sit around bum i mean he was like really you know expanding his social sphere so <laughs> i gotta mm -hmm. give him that much but um in order to do that class really gets in the way. So that kind of, you know, class was really getting in the way of the socializing. And I just, I got to a point where I was like, I, I think we just have different goals in life. You know, I, like when I get out of college, I've got to, I got to get a job. I got to get out on my own. You know, I want to be financially independent and all that stuff. And I didn't feel like Josh was really working toward that. And I honestly, I just, found myself at a point of thinking, you know, who am I to judge you or try to tell you what you're doing is wrong? Let me just kind of get out of your way to do whatever you think is right for you. And um, so we part ways and it was, you know, peaceful and respectful and that kind of thing. And um, then he just kind of shocked me one day, um, just contacted me out of the blue and just said, I'm actually going to go into the military. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> my first thought was, wait a minute. Like, you know, the army does things early in the morning, you know, like, <laughs> you, know, yeah. like you can't make it to your nine o'clock class. How are you going <laughs> to make it yeah. to 5 a.m. PT? Um, but I, you know, that was kind of how we rekindled because I was, um, I was in, I was supportive of him. I, I was just kind of thinking good for you for wanting to, you know, take control of your life in this way and, and go for something that is completely like discipline based. And, um, at that time it was, it was 2009 at that time. And we were really going through like the surge of transition from Iraq to Afghanistan. So it, it was a concerning time to be joining active duty military. And I, I could understand where people were really concerned for Josh, but I think it kind of came across as uh, his family not really supporting him. Hmm. And so that's just kind of how we became friends again, because I just thought, like, this guy needs support. You know, he is absolutely doing the right thing. Um, this is something he probably should have done right out of high school. So I just really wanted to be there to support him and tell him that he was doing the right thing. So, uh, uh, so, so Josh, so this this is this is happening. And the interesting thing about your book, you all are very clear. Paige, you're focused. You know where you're going. You're g going there full bore. Josh is kind of this laid back, nothing, uh, water off a duck's back. Uh, that's not going to be a problem. You know, we'll ha the half full. Maybe it's almost sounds like you know seven eighths full kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and so. Um, so that's an interesting mix. So, so your relationship rekindles, and um, I guess a la military. One of the things that I did enjoy about the book is I know next to nothing about military life, and I thought you all did a wonderful job of explaining 
the hectic nature of the life, the on-call nature of the life, the um, sacrifice, really, that people in the military undertake to serve their country and, uh, and the way in which um, you really you really put yourself in Uncle Sam's hands when you're when you're in the military. Um, and your marriage is that story. Um, so uh, talk about how much time you had to get married or maybe another way to ask it is how much time didn't you have to get married? <laughs> um, yeah, so we, you know, we I joined the military in January of 2010. Um, I was at basic training by January 5th and um you know obviously during that time you don't get a lot of contact with the outside world um you know for a purpose and um so we mostly communicated through letters um we could write all the letters that we wanted to so we mostly communicated through letters and um you know while i was in basic training you know i realized like you know Paige is somebody that i you know want to spend the rest of my life with and you know i think you know maybe it's time you know we get married. And so, um, you know, while I was in basic training and, um, you know, writing letters and stuff, I got this idea. And then when I went to airborne school right after that, so this would have been what, like April, mm. April, May ish. Um, I, you know, I got in touch with my mom and my grandmother and I was like, look, I want to ask Paige to marry me, but I, I really need some help. And so, um, we, you know, the three of us worked together and they helped me pick out a ring and, um, you know, cause that's, you know, it's not really my, my thing. I'm not really strong in that area. Um, <laughs> and so they helped me out and they gave me a bunch of really good options and I picked out, you know, the perfect one. And, um, you know, I came home, um, from leave, um, or, you know, just one weekend during airborne school and, um, you know, asked her to marry me. She said, yes, again, she couldn't resist my amazing charm. <laughs> At this point, I'm like, you know, I put a lot of time into this. We might as well just. <laughs> but, you know, uh, after that, the talking about time constraint, you know, we it was kind of like, how do you plan a wedding when because I'm marrying the military, right? You know, right. Get jobs without the military, and so we thought about next summer and whatever, and. Um, deployments were were an absolute fact for everyone that was active duty at that time and so we just thought we couldn't risk you know next year and so we knew for sure he'd be off for christmas so we got um had to do all the wedding planning myself because at that time i was still living in alabama josh was had been stationed now at fort bragg so he'd gone from columbus georgia to fayetteville north carolina and um he you know, came down as much as he could, but that was still an eight hour trip driving, you know? And so, uh, I had to do all the planning and that kind of thing on my own. And then, um, he, we got married during Christmas leave, which was, uh, we got married on December 29th. Um, and that is not Christmas Eve, Christmas day, New Year's Eve, New Year's day. It is that random like Wednesday where nobody knows what day it is. We <laughs> did the same thing. We got married December 23rd. Okay. So right before <laughs> Christmas, we know, I know what that experience is like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we honeymooned for two days and then he had to be back at work. <laughs> yeah. so, so basically what a three day window we're talking about or a four day window that you, yeah. basically you had to get married and, Get married, honeymoon, and then back to where you were. Right. So one of the interesting things about the book that I I, I did enjoy in looking at your story was, uh, Paige, the uh, clear observation you made that most people don't get married and then go back to their college roommates. <laughs> So, uh, so I went. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, so, uh, so, so yeah. So everything about what's happened to y'all before we get to the main part of the story tells you this is this couple is going to go through a less than normal set of procedures. I mean, it, it, uh, it's amazing uh, part of the story. All right. So, so Josh, you. You train uh, uh, and you you um, end up having a shift in your training um, that ends up leaving you subject to a deployment which came much sooner 
than you had anticipated. Why don't you fill us in with that? Because yeah. particularly in light of the marriage story that you have, I think right. this is another interesting part of this of your story and shows how much the military controls a person's life. Right. So I was at, you know, I was at stationed at Fort Bragg and I was originally in the Special Forces Qualification Course and um, that was kind of my my trajectory um, of where I wanted to head. And, you know, at the time, Paige was still in school at Jacksonville State. She was trying to finish up her master's and she was, um, you know, a graduate assistant on the volleyball team there. And um, so we lived separately for a little while and, you know, we ended up getting an apartment and that, you know, she never actually moved into. Um, and during my training, I um, ended up failing a run um you know just a random five mile run that you know you have to run it in a by certain five amount. seconds that's yeah. the thing <laughs> failed yeah. it by five seconds and yeah. um, that's one of those worlds where they don't have a ton of grace you know they they you know everything's cut and dry and you know it's for a reason you know they're the elite of the elite and so um ended up you know getting orders pretty quickly to fort lewis washington um and Usually when you're coming from a training environment, um, like basic training or from the Q course, like they're not just going to give you orders to a unit to just go sit there for a little while. When you get orders to, to go somewhere, they're usually trying to fill up a unit so that they can get ready to deploy. And so, um, you know, I was headed to Fort Lewis, who was scheduled to deploy anywhere from um, December to, you know, March of 2010 and or 29 to 2010 and so um i knew you know right off the bat that you know i would probably be deploying pretty quick and um so we got to fort lewis um to tacoma washington in um august of 29 20 2011 two, oh yeah 2000 no, yeah yeah 2011 i'm sorry all my yep. dates <laughs> um got to fort lewis in 2011 and uh, August 2011, and, you know, they were already talking about um, the unit had already done most of their pre-deployment training, um, and they were already talking about getting ready to go in December timeframe, um, which our orders actually ended up getting changed like 10 or 11 times. Our mission completely changed one time and then got pushed back for a while, and then um, we finally got orders that we were going to deploy in March of 2012. So, so how, how long have you been married and how long have you been able to be a couple? Yeah. So we, by the know, time you deployed, we got married in 2010, um, December, 2010. And then we didn't live together until we got to Tacoma. Uh, that was the first time we had actually lived together. Um, and so, you know, August, of 2011 when we started living together for the first time and then i deploy in march of 2012. so all about six months you'd been together and then josh is off to afghanistan yeah mm -hmm. um uh one of the things we probably don't have time to develop but obviously is an important part of military experience is being a military wife when someone's in deployment you clearly were um depicting the very much day-to-day -day element of what that's like and waiting for the deployment to come to an end, that kind of thing. This is where I think the fascinating two-level part of the book is um, begins to surface. Because Josh is going through stuff in Afghanistan, and he's made a decision as to how much he is going to tell you about what he's actually going through while you're sitting there day after day waiting for the days to go by. Um, talk, Josh, talk a little bit about that decision. I mean, in one sense, I understand it. We do things that try and protect people, if I can say it that way. I think, I don't know if that's what you had in mind, but, uh, um, and to deal with that. But what what is that, what is that like? Because you were trying to be as positive for her as you could be in the midst of going through really, um, uh, uh, challenging and horrific sets of experiences yeah so um you know contrary to popular belief like when things come up in my life like i'm a researcher and i i look 
like really deep into things. And um, so I had done a lot of research on the area we were going and um, talked to a lot of people who, um, you know, had had previous deployment experience. And so I knew the area we were going was pretty, um, it was going to be pretty dangerous. Um, and so, you know, I made a decision um, going there that, um, you know, anytime I talked to the, on the phone to my family, I didn't want to fill it with negative things that was going to make them worry later on. Like, so basically all I told the, the their only view of my experience was that I just told them we were handing out like candy and soccer balls. And so they sent me candy and stuff the entire time I was in Afghanistan, which I handed candy to kids, but that's because I wanted to keep them around, you know? Um, but you know, so I, uh, I'm not a journaler. I've never journaled anything in my life, not even really a writer. Um, but I knew that, you know, if I didn't write stuff down, I would forget it. And so, um, when I got there, I decided I was going to start journaling for the first time. I had this nice little green book that I had no plans to write anything else in. So started journaling and, um, that was kind of where I put like all the bad things and the real things that happened while when I talked on the phone to page, which was very rare. I think we only talked four or five times the entire time I was there. Hmm. Um, you know, when I talked to her, I just tried to keep everything light and, um, you know, nothing. I never talked about like the dangerous side of the deployment. And you were actually there how long before the accident? Um, so I got there in like mid March and then got injured right at the end of May. Okay. Um, and of course, Paige, you're at home going through the day to day, just trying to survive the life and counting the days when you get your husband back. Um, so, okay. So now we're going to, I'm going to have to speed things up because of our time, but, uh, the accident happens an ID an an ID explodes you're you're injured and uh i'll leave the details of of the days that happened right after and what i want to do is i want to go to the time from basically walter reed on which is an extended period of time how long did it take you to recover from the time you arrived till the time you were living at least the first time in uh, outside the hospital in the in the related area that they kept people in while they continued to recover. Do you know what that time period would be? Um, it was a fairly quick-ish turnaround. Like I, you know, I was very lucky. I only had like one major infection, um, and so you know, I tell people all the time, like I was injured in, on May 31st, and I was walking on prosthetic legs, you know, before Christmas, and so. Um, you know, I had the most amazing doctors and nurses and stuff in the world. Um, and so, you know, I was very lucky to be there. And so I think we were living in building 62 by what, like November ish. No, it was, it was earlier than that. It was, um, shortly after labor day, we had had, we were able to kind of do like a trial and then, um, we, I think we got our permanent, um, room assignment right after that. So, so, and that, and, and, uh, there were surgeries three times a week for a period. Mm -hmm. You were uh, on very heavy drugs initially, and then eventually, you know, weaned off of that. Uh, Paige, talk a little bit about the care that that required. And then I think my sense is from the book that this is when your faith, which, it, which was there, but it kind of been real low key, began to really kick in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was just a testament in, um, I think even at that point, you know, I was very immature just as a person, but especially in my faith. And um, I think it, the, one of the first things that I thought about is when you stand at an altar on your wedding day and you make those vows, like you have no idea what you're talking about. That's and, true. <laughs> you really have no idea what you're talking about. So when you say in sickness and health, better or worse, I mean, that can surpass anything you could ever imagine for your, for yourself or for your spouse. And so, um, I was in this, this, it was truly just being thrust into a world. I had no, 
medical background. I mean, thank God for Josh's mother who was a nurse for, Mm. you know, almost 30 years, but um, I had no way of knowing, is this normal? Should he be doing this or, you know, whatever. And so um, in a matter of just, you know, five or six days um, at Walter Reed, it was just, it, it was worse than any newborn baby schedule you could ever be on. I mean, he was so uncomfortable all the time. He was either burning with fever, hallucinating, like sick to his stomach, literally like vomiting on us. Sometimes he was in such intense pain all the time, just almost blackout pain. And, um, it was just, it was so overwhelming for me because I could tell that I was deteriorating too. It was, and it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm really tired. It was, I haven't gone to the bathroom in two days because I literally can't get out of his line of vision, you know? Mm. And so, um, uh, and that it, it was that way for every single wife, but you don't ever get out of your room enough to know that, Hey, there's somebody right down the hall going through the exact same thing, you know? And so, um, discovering the other families was a huge thing for me and not just my physical recovery, because we tried to jump in and tag team and help each other. But, um, it also just kind of helped me know that I'm not doing as bad as I think I am. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, in in the faith part of it, it was just such a, um, I've just never been that desperate and that, um, like not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, um, you, you're in these situations where we go through 10 or 12 hours of Josh, just absolutely suffering. I mean, you've just never seen a person suffer like that and there's nothing you can do to really help them. And all I could think is like, how long is it going to be like this? You know? Mm -hmm. And, And that almost instills a sense of panic. And so I would just, I I prayed the most honest prayers I'd ever prayed in my entire life. You know, I was done with like the Miss America prayers, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like literally on my knees sometimes crying and praying out loud in front of a room full of strangers. I just didn't care because I'd, I had stretched myself. I definitely come to the end of myself. And um, looking back, that's one of the mo- that's one of the greatest things I think that could ever happen to someone is when they realize they've come to the end of themselves. You know, there, there's no way to con. I, I can imagine for someone who is as focused and able to direct their lives as much <laughs> as you had, yeah, that, that to be in a position where you the, absolutely nothing is under your control. Right. It's got to be completely disorienting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, Josh, one of the things that's clear from the story is the way in which people who had been through similar experiences rallied around each other and really became um, close friends. In fact, I, I think your forward is written by someone else who is went through a similar experience, Travis Mills. And, and the story is literally chock full of these relationships that you have with other people who are helping you get get helping you you're helping each other really get through this can you talk about that a little bit i think that's a personal touch that's pretty important yeah absolutely um you know honestly that that was huge for me um you know i think that's part of uh, being at walter reed and why it's so special you know you have some of the best doctors in the world there and they do some of the coolest surgeries and stuff but um the i think the best part of it is being there with other men and women that are going through the exact same things that you're going through you know you're sitting there laying in a bed with no legs and um then you realize there's a guy four doors down um the hallway that doesn't have arms or legs or Mm -hmm. you know you see people in the um physical therapy room that only have they're only missing you know one leg or they're missing both arms and they have both their legs you know it's such an interesting dynamic and so it was great to have those guys and um it was great for me and and my just um morale i guess you could say because you know i could see other men that were going through the same things that 
I was going through and, you know, me being a military person, it turned into, you know, a competition as well, you know, because you want to be, you know, bigger, faster, stronger than the other, than the other guy, you know, and so you can't let anybody out do you in physical therapy. And, um, you know, my, my physical therapist, um, you know, Lieutenant Marmalejo, he was unbelievable in bringing out that competitive edge in me. And so, um, it was awesome having those guys there and, you know, we really got close with their families pages, you know, it was great for her to have the wives and, you know, they call themselves the click They're you know, they got their own little club and, um, they still talk all the time. They got a group text message and, you know, us being dudes, we just grunt at each other every now and then when we see <laughs> each other. And, um, but it's good. You know, we still have those relationships to this day and we still keep in touch with everybody. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Now, uh, the fascinating part of the book is you would think that once the recovery ha- happened and you, you're beginning to live independently, etc., that uh, the story is all uh, downhill from that point. But that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all had a y'all had a, a first child, which was portrayed as the absolute great blessing that that a, having a child would be. That was that was terrific and seemed to be going well. But then you flipped into the routine of being parents, uh, not under the most normal kinds of circumstances in many ways, which impacted your marriage. And then you had your second child, which uh, it seems in the book to have been a different kind of experience. Um, Talk about that a little bit, because it almost sounds like the challenge of your relationship almost became greater in that context than what you had already been through. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when we had our first daughter, um, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was a great moment. You know, um, I'll never forget that because, you know, the doctors had told me because of injuries that they weren't sure if I could have kids. And so finding out like, ha, gotcha, I am going to be able to have kids. Um, that was awesome. And it was a great experience. And, um, just being a girl dad, I think I was made to be a girl dad. So it was perfect. Um, but then we got out of the military and, you know, we go into civilian world. Um, we moved down to Auburn and, um, you know, when when you're in the military, it's beat into you from day one to always have a battle buddy. And so they're basically for two reasons. So one, you've always got community, you know, you've always got that person there to pick you up when you fall or, um, you know, have your back when things, um, get hairy and um you know when you get out of the military you don't have that anymore you're you essentially lose that battle buddy and um i didn't realize you know how strong that or how important that community was while i was in walter reed and so i got out and i got into a really bad place you know i was essentially actively running from god and my wife you know at one point and everything on the outside looked great you know i was going to school i was going to auburn um which was the school of my dreams i'd gotten a job in the athletic department at auburn which was awesome you know that i was getting paid money to go to a you know sporting events and um which you know i could have never dreamed of as a kid but you know behind closed doors like our marriage was falling apart and you know like i said i was actively you know running from god in in every aspect of life Mm -hmm. yeah and i think with like our second child it was such a um things i think it's just you react differently to suffering that you've induced yourself (laughs) you know and when we were at walter reed it was a um 
that was an, we kind of saw the opportunity there. It was an opportunity to, um, for Josh to continue to lead because his, his unit was still deployed. They needed to see him overcoming things. They needed to see him with a smile on his face and things like that. So we were really motivated in that regard to kind of not just put an image out, but truly like live up to I'm making the most of this situation. Well, then when you get out and you think I'm going to be able to control, you know, Walter Reed was so much chaos and now we're getting away from the chaos and I'm going to get to decide how it goes and we're going to have these jobs and this is, this is how it's going to happen. And I think that's something that really is often surprising for a lot of people about veterans, because you think that, uh, the combat um, environment or the active duty environment is the thing that's causing all the stress all the time. And it is stressful for sure, but um, you're on mission, like you're on purpose every single day. And when you get out and like Josh is saying, you don't have that, uh, you don't have battle buddies. You're not really sure what your mission is. You're just trying to uh, live kind of this low key life because you've lived in such chaos for so long. Um, you don't realize that you're kind you're just, uh, you're playing it small, you know, and you're just doing what's convenient. You're not necessarily doing what's right. And when you're giving up your leadership, you know, and I say that in our, we were bad leaders to each other. We were very lazy parents. We went just kind of tried to clock in, clock out to our jobs and things like that. And, I mean, we were miserable. I mean, it was true. It was truly like, why did we like, why do we go through all of this just for life to like end up this way, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so we kind of realized that we're in a situation as a result of our own doing. And so, you know, taking responsibility for that was a real uh, eye opening and painful thing to admit. But once we did, it was, that was kind of the road to um, kind of tying it all together. You know, how does, how does what happened to Josh fit into the civilian world that we're trying to live in today? And, um, and I think we were able just through a lot of prayer and some counseling and um, just asking more of ourselves um, to kind of really tie that together. And I don't know, make our lives make sense after time in the military. Now I have I have two pieces here that, that kind of show how how you got out of this dark space that you were in together. Um, one is a marriage retreat, which I think, if I remember correctly, took place in Alaska. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And then it's about as far away from Alabama as you can get. And, yeah. then, and then uh, and the second was a small group uh, that that was i guess part two and do i may have that i think i have that in the right order yep. so um so talk about that a little bit and how that how that lifted you up what how the lord lifted you up by those relationships because one of the themes that clearly comes through the whole book is that um there were people journeying with you through this all the way i mean from family members who were there when it ha when the accident happened all the way through to um the support that you got the parts of the book that i find fascinating are you go to move in and there there are troops of people literally there to help you move in that kind of thing so um so ch share about the retreat in the in the small group yeah uh, so like the, the trip to Alaska, honestly, um, was just a complete God thing. Um, you know, we were at a point in our marriage where everything was literally falling apart. We were, um, coming to a breaking point. Um, and you know, we were literally at that point where we're like, all right, we just got to figure out how to move on. And so, um, we, you know, or working through that. And then, you know, a trip that we had applied to go to what three or four years earlier, mm -hmm. like they finally reach out to us and they're like, Hey, we noticed that you um, applied for this. And um, you know, we'd love to have you if you guys still want to come. And so, you know, Paige just at that time was like, all right, we're just going to figure things out and, you know, see what this trip has in store for us. And, Man, when we went there, you know, a lot of people just really poured into us and 
Um, we were there with a lot of amazing couples that were, you know, struggling with a lot of the same things that we were struggling with. And um, they really worked with us on, on, you know, one, how to really understand each other on a, on a deeper level. And two, you know, they really worked with us on, on getting the tools to, to help navigate life once we left, you know, and, and, you know, they taught us, you know, like, how to argue correctly or in how to understand each other a little better in certain situations. And, um, you know, it was like an, an amazing moment and, um, an amazing trip for us. And, and on top of that, you know, we got to do a lot of, um, cool things like fishing and bear watching and, um, you know, everything that you could imagine. You were totally shut off from the rest of the world during that week. Is that right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No yeah. cell phones like, you had then, to use a landline to call anybody and right. no Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi. Yeah. Nothing. But the hmm. thing for me was that Alaska made me feel normal. Hmm. You know, it was like Walter Reed, it was par for the course. Like nothing was normal. You know, it was you just learned to live with the abnormality of not just you, but like your what your friends might be going through and that kind of thing. But um, I think we had just really we wanted to look like we were handling civilian life, you know, like pros and we weren't. And so when we go to Alaska and there's people that are, and they weren't, not all of them were wounded. They just had, you know, one of the two in the couple had been to combat and um, they would just ask us questions. And it was kind of like, you know, raise your hand. If you can go to, if you've ever gone two weeks without talking to your spouse, you know, mm -hmm. and, like all of us just slowly raised our hands. And while, you know, to an outsider, that's kind of like, Oh my gosh, that's horrible. I was inside. I was like jumping up and down. I was like, we're normal. Like we have yeah. normal problems, mm -hmm. you know, and which just made me feel like there was hope for us. Hmm. Yeah. So the small group talk about that. I, that was a trick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it, Paige. Uh, I guess you get full credit for being pretty clever, but you tricked him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's she uh, she's pretty good at that. But um, <laughs> when we got back um, from the Alaska trip, you know, a lot of things changed our marriage, and a lot of things were getting better. Um, but I was still, you know, actively trying to avoid going to church and. Um, I still didn't really have that community. And so um, Paige started seeing that and, um, you know, starting seeing patterns and stuff develop again. And um, so she was like, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to figure this out, you know. And so, um, you know, one day she's like, hey, you know, let's hop in the car and, let's, you know, let's go get something to eat. And I was like, all right, whatever. And so I'm just letting her lead the way. And all of a sudden we end up in somebody's driveway. And I was like, <laughs> we're not like, this is not a place to get food. And she was like, well, good news. We're here for a small group, you know, and I was completely opposed to it. Like I was like, I don't have time for a small group. Like I'm working, like I work with the basketball team in Auburn and we were right in the middle of basketball season the year we went to the final four. And so hmm. I was like, no chance I have time for this, you know? Um, and I was like, but whatever, I'll just, I'll go in here. Paige said they have food. I'll, <laughs> I'll eat, you know? And so we went in and, you know, right. She off also told you if you didn't like it, that would be the only time you needed to go, which is a right. fabulous, fabulous approach to the situation in terms right, of yeah. taking the pressure off and bringing it on at the same time. Right. <laughs> but, you know, we go into the small group and, you know, they we worship together and then they split out the the men and the women into two separate groups and so i go in there and i'm like all right let's see what this is all about and you know i liked what i heard and um you know at the end of it a guy from up where i'm from in northeast alabama um they were asking you know what are your prayer requests you know how can we um pray for you this week and he was just like right off the bat he was like listen i need y'all pray for me i got a dui three days ago like I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, all right, so there's people like me here. You know, I wasn't out getting DUIs, but like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a people. churchy people. Right, right, right. <laughs> and You're so, getting the real deal. 
track. And yeah. so I kept going just to see what was going to happen next, you know, and <laughs> ended up really liking it. And, you know, we, in that small group, we learned a lot of, um, you know, different things. And, you know, it was great to really see that there are men outside of the military that struggled with the things that I was struggling with. And, you know, I think the entire, our entire marriage, it's always come back to seeing that, you know, we're not alone in the things that we're going through. You know, there are people around you that are going through the exact same things that you're going through. You just have to open up and let them in and you'll see that and you can go through it together, you know? And during that small group, you know, um, learned a lot about myself and um you know we had a conference afterwards in which you kind of go back over everything and there's a there's a portion in that called you know it talks about fear and you know me i never had a healthy fear of anything you know like i didn't when i was a kid i didn't fear you know jumping off of the house or picking up critters or handling snakes or anything like that and um you know as an adult like i didn't fear jumping out of airplanes or anything like that when i stepped on a bomb i never feared dying you know i didn't have a healthy fear of anything and um so i was like ah, this didn't really speak to me you know and so the guy i was praying with was like you know one thing that men have trouble with and a fear of is the the fear to lead in their family and spiritually and it just kind of like it's like in a movie when all things just kind of like in reverse, like like plays through your entire life, you know, um, that kind of happened. And I realized like I have like an extreme fear to lead because when I, the last time I had led in the military, I got injured and then others subsequently got injured or killed. And so I just didn't want to lead in any capacity, whether it was in my family, spiritually, at work. I didn't even want to be the first person in line going somewhere. And so, you know, I, I realized that during this um, conference and, you know, God really just, you know, showed me right then and there, like, you know, it's time for you to lead again. It's time for you to step up and be a leader in your family and in your church and in your community and at work. And, um, you know, came out of that and uh, came down and sat down. And I think it's this is kind of when it all came full circle for Paige, but I just sat down next to her like, you know, like I had just lost 2,000 pounds, you know, and I was like, whoa, I think I got to lead a small group. And like, I could just see her out of the corner of my eye, like almost choke, you know, <laughs> like do what? And I was like, yeah, I think, I think I, God's calling me to lead a small group. You, you were know? just tricking her back. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. And I, I think when we, you know, I was so glad. I was so thankful for the just how God set it all up because when I felt the inclination to deceive my husband into uh, a small group, I uh, I think that's what I was seeing. You know, we went to Alaska and it was like we were so intensively working on our marriage, and that was great, but it was just step one and it was not going to solve all of the problems. And I think what I didn't have the language for, um, or didn't have the understanding of was that like, I knew Josh was a leader in all regards and all aspects. And like, I knew he was going to be a great dad. I knew he was working every day to be a great husband as well, but you're not everybody's dad. You're not everybody's husband. The, like the rest of the world, um, you know, needed his leadership as well. And I think that was just kind of the thing where Josh was really just trying to keep himself in a box, you know, mm -hmm. and I knew that he was stifling very important aspects of his own personality, but also just God's purpose in his life, you know, and I could, I didn't understand that at the time, but then when I saw it kind of unfold, like unfold throughout that, um, that semester in that small group, and then ultimately at that conference you know it was just so awesome for someone else someone other than me to go you know a lot of guys are just afraid to be the spiritual leader because they're just afraid they're gonna mess it up so they let their wife do everything or you know and mm -hmm. and for that to speak to him so profoundly you know not transformation is bigger than like a single moment you know and um but i think that was as transformative of a five minutes as you know, Josh could ever get, you know, other than like the moment he stepped on a bomb, you know? Yeah. So, 
I was so thankful for that. So, so you've written this book. Uh, I have no idea how long it took to do. Um, you got the idea for it and you did it or someone talked to you into t telling your story and you did it wherever that happened. Uh, I don't know that part of the story, but um, uh, I just want to commend you for the for and obviously you had someone alongside of you who helped you do this, but um, but the the honesty and the the um, sensitivity that um, you all give to this. Um, you know, makes it a very interesting and reflective exercise. And I know at the end of the book, you make a point about why you did the book and why what you're hoping to accomplish by it, etc. And I, I think um, you succeeded. I mean, it just is a very well done book uh, that that lays out at so many different layers. Uh, um, a faith journey, a faith journey in the midst of challenge. It's about uh, challenging marriage, about facing up to who we are, how we how we sometimes uh, get in our own way, um, and then and then how God <laughs> relentlessly uh, doesn't let us stay there, right. but but just keeps knocking on that door and. And with maybe the message, will you please get this? You know, <laughs> and uh, um, because I'm here to help you and be with you. And and the way in which it's clear that that God was ordering steps in many ways, and yet at the same time, uh, you all were having to come to grips with what was going on. I just want to thank you for really a, a wonderful story and for giving us the time to kind of follow up and and dive in i really do appreciate your willingness to tell retell your story let me ask you this um so since the book has been done what have you been doing and uh and what's been the uh, probably not the right word but what's been the fallout of doing the book what's been the result of doing the book um so you know we we tell people all the time like 2020 has been tough for a lot of people and um you know because of covid and having to be locked down in their houses and everything but for us i think it kind of had the opposite effect you know it, it um you know we actually got the opportunity to like slow down and just kind of evaluate things you know and um you know i i'm very you know career oriented and um so you know with in athletics it's it's 90 to nothing you know and when COVID hit i was right in the middle of basketball season we were going to the sec tournament and then to the ncaa tournament and so there was literally going to be no stop until the end of march and so um it just gave us that opportunity to literally just grind our lives to a halt and experience each other you know really um you know experience our kids and and um you know spend a lot of really good quality time with them and um but then it also gave us the opportunity to um kind of see where we needed to give back you know we've been so blessed since my injury and um we've had so many people that have poured into us and um whether it's monetarily you know we we've got a house built for us here in auburn or you know through you know people helping us um you know, in other ways through in our community. And, um, you know, we realized that we, you know, it was time for us to start um, serving others. You know, we, we, you know, had all this stuff, but, you know, God calls you to serve, you know, and um, serve others, even in, even in the time of, of tragedy, you know, and um, we, you know, we went and we had a serve project in Columbus, Georgia, and, you know, we had really been called to that area, which is just right down the road from Auburn, but we've been called to that area because of the high military presence there. And um, we went to a serve project there and we met, um, you know, a couple there that, you know, work with crew military um, and they, they serve the basic trainees on Fort Benning and um, their chapel services. And then they have um, like Bible study time afterwards as well. Um, and then, Another part of that is um, this class called Reboot, where they, um, you know, it's essentially for, you know, traumatic veterans who have gone through traumatic things. And, um, you know, that was just right up our alley of, you know, like we've been through a lot of things and, you know, I've been through a lot of things individually um, with my, my combat experience that, that, you know, 
kind of affected our marriage in a lot of ways. And we feel like we have a lot to give to other veterans. Um, and so it's given us that opportunity to, to, to see kind of the areas where we can give back and, and serve other veterans. And then, um, you know, on top of that, it's kind of given us this platform to um, really challenge um, churches in, in what they're doing. Um, you know, a lot of churches, um, you know, they say they're military friendly and everything, but, um, you know, if, if you really boil it down, like, what does that mean? You know, do you know how many veterans are in your congregation? You know, do you have military led small groups? You know, do you have specific programming for military members, you know, and this military community as a whole, um, they're hurting, they're broken. And, um, you know, there's a, a lot of things going on in the military, whether it's suicide or, or, um, divorce. And, um, I, you know, personally feel like, you know, the, the way to change all that starts through the big C church. And so, um, this COVID time has really given us, um, you know, just kind of a clear vision on where, you know, God wants us to go next. And we really feel strongly like, you know, God wants us to serve more in our community, serve the veterans more in our community and um, in Columbus, Georgia. And then also, um, you know, encourage churches to to get, you know, figure out like what how you can help the veterans in your community um, in a strong way and how you can bring the community to them. Because, you know, like I said earlier, when you get out of the military, you lose that community. You lose that battle buddy. And so how can the church, Big C Church, come alongside the veteran and be that battle buddy? Paige, you have anything you want to add to that? Um, I think, it. you know, we've gotten the opportunity to uh, do some speaking. And um, I have really been um, pleasantly surprised with the feedback of just, it seems like it finally a wife is saying something, you know, <laughs> but um, military families do go through a whole lot. And along those lines of what Josh is talking about, of how the church can um, step up is, uh, you know, realizing how, you know, it's not um, veteran ministry is not just about the veteran, because just like I said at the very beginning, I married the military and so the military affects everything that I did. And so if, if you're, if you've got, um, maybe you don't have a ton of veterans in your congregation, but I think every church would be shocked to realize how many immediate family members mm -hmm. there are, whether it's parents, grandparents, siblings of someone that's deployed or about to deploy or whatever. And, um, if you think about how many, you know, churches have ministries for, uh, single mothers or, um, you know, uh, celebrate recovery for like alcohol and drug addiction, things like that. But if you did a military ministry, veteran ministry that could cover people from 18 to 90, mm -hmm. you know, and they all need each other and they all need to be aware of each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's, it's something that we really have just kind of, just like Josh said, we took a breather and kind of realized with, you know, with this book in one hand, this like ultimate accountability <laughs> of mm -hmm. our lives as a married couple, along with what's going on right now in 2020 and beyond how, what are the consequences going forward? Um, you know, we really just hope that our book opens the door to, Hey, you know, I know everybody thinks that, you know, my life as a military wife or Josh's experience as a soldier is like, this really crazy, like once in a lifetime thing, but it's not because for every soldier that is injured to the extent Joss is, there were 25 of them that had to witness it and mm. they are still carrying that. And they're still trying to figure out how to function in their life, knowing that that happened to their friend and they're married to people and they're trying to raise children and they just don't know what to do. And you shouldn't know what to do. So what can we do to, you know, kind of come alongside them and say, you know, this is what you're just like what we experienced in Alaska. This is normal. And Christ has an answer for it, you know, mm. but if Christ doesn't, you know, if we're not putting Christ in front of that problem, the world will tell them how 
to handle it just like with anything else so we're really just trying to hopefully just let this book open the door to having really important conversations like that well we want to thank you because i think the book does that it does it well uh and uh, to put uh voices and faces and uh on, on this has been really a treat for me so i want to thank you for the time taking the time with us to talk about it and we wish you all the best in the future and how old are your little ones now seven and four seven and four long way to go still but that's okay <laughs> uh so uh, but we're well we we really do thank you for taking the time to do this with us and we wish you all the best and uh and we thank you for being a part of the table. We hope you'll join us again soon. And if you have a uh, desire to subscribe to the Table Podcast, it's voicedts.edu slash tablepodcast. And you can do that. And we'd love to see you again. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.